0: scripture reading this evening is Psalm 148. For the sake of our catechism lesson, this psalm plays the same role that I suggested for Psalm 104, an expression of praising God for how His attributes, His character is made known through the creation. Psalm 148. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all deeps, fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind fulfilling his word. Mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds. Kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for his people. Praise for all his saints, for the people of Israel who are near to him. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we praise you for your word, for its beauty, for the joy and delight in reading it, for the good things of your creation that it turns us toward. We pray that as we do this, you would enable us to truly turn toward you as the creator, as the one who is the source of all that is good, and that you would teach us to acknowledge this in our prayers and our songs before you as our Lord Jesus Christ taught us to pray. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our lesson from the Heidelberg Catechism this evening is Lord's Day 47. As we continue to work through now that portion of the Catechism that's going through the petitions of the Lord's Prayer, we'll read this question and answer responsively. Lord's Day 47 of the Catechism. What does the first petition mean? Hallowed be your name means help us to truly know you, to honor, glorify, and praise you for all your works and for all that shines forth from them, your almighty power, wisdom, kindness, justice, mercy, and truth. And it means, help us to direct all our living, what we think, say, and do, so that your name will never be blasphemed because of us, but always honored and praised. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, as we continue our study of the Lord's Prayer in the Catechism, I want to remind us of the language of the Catechism last Lord's Day, last Sunday evening. (laughs) This seemed easy when I thought of it. All right, it's on page... 894 in the back of your Psalter hymnals. Lord's Day 46 said this, Why has Christ commanded us to address God as our Father? And the answer begins with these words, to awaken in us at the very beginning of our prayer. And then it goes on to say what that petition in particular awakens within us. Here is the idea I want to remind us of. That this prayer comes to us from outside of us. And part of what that means is that it is given to us as something we are to enter into, something we are to say with the expectation that we would be formed from the outside in. You might remember last Sunday evening, I contrasted this with how we often think about prayer as being the overflowing of something we are already thinking and feeling. And so then we have all sorts of issues with what does it mean to pray sincerely if you pray the same things over and over? What does it mean to pray sincerely if you are praying a prayer of confession printed in the bulletin? Or what does it mean to pray sincerely if you pray the Lord's prayer? If we think of prayer and song as the overflowing of something we're already feeling, and instead we simply pray words we are given, well then are we being insincere? And the idea we need to To deal with I think to be more comfortable with as I've tried to challenge us many times is one of the things the scriptures expect us to do in the psalms for example is to go through the motions to go through the motions of praying certain things so that as we do so we are shaped and formed by it the Lord's prayer then is giving us things to pray that we might not otherwise have thought or felt That doesn't mean when you pray it, you're being insincere. You are rather sincerely wanting the Holy Spirit to work in you as you pray the words. And so though you may not be feeling the particular thing that it says, it is nevertheless a sincere thing to be doing because you are the one choosing to pray it and to use the words Christ has given. All right, what I'm suggesting is that that is embedded in the way the catechism speaks when it says to awaken in us. Jesus gives us words to pray to awaken in us something that might otherwise not have been there. Well, this evening, that is our expectation as we come to the petition of the Lord's Prayer, Hallowed be your name. And there's three things I want to set before you this evening that that petition, the Catechism tells us, is awakening within us. The first is the importance of knowing God. Second, that we are to praise God for his attributes. And third, that we are to honor God's name in all of our living. First, knowing God. This prayer expresses a commitment to growing in our knowledge of God. The catechism says this, hallowed be your name means help us to truly know you. Now, we need to ask, how does the catechism get there? What is the truth? What is the reality that is the case that catechism actually doesn't say? that explains why it would say hallowing God's name, treating God's name as holy, honoring God's name, includes knowing God. How do we get there? Well, the way we get there is letter A, the scriptural theme, that God's name represents who he is, his nature, his character, his reputation. This is perhaps the big idea, if you want to make sense of what we are praying when we say hallowed be your name, that God's name, in fact the word name, is a way of referring to his character, his reputation. This is, of course, not foreign to us. We speak this way in ordinary conversation about someone's reputation. They have a good name. Well, that is something of of what we're saying regarding God. Psalm 148, verse 5. Speaking of the creation, let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. And when it says, let them praise the name of the Lord, what it's speaking of is the creation, the sun, the moon, the stars in this case. Well, how does that make sense? How does the creation praise the name of the Lord? Well, on the one hand, it's poetic language. We don't have to parse it out. There's this beautiful sense in which creation declares God's glory. But we can dig into that more deeply. That the stars, the heavens proclaim they praise the name of the Lord because they reveal something about him. They say something about him. His character, his reputation, who he is, is revealed in the creation. And that means then that the creation praises his name. His name is him, making him known, revealing him. So if we are going to praise his name, we have to know him. And so if we say, hallowed be your name, the catechism is telling us, that is our being committed to growing in our knowledge of God. Letter B, there's something here I want to highlight that maybe it's easy to skip over or take for granted. This means, letter B, that knowing God is possible. Knowing God is possible because he created us to know him and to enjoy fellowship with him. Do not take this for granted. There are many who would, in a sort of pretend humility throw up their hands and say, who can know anything about God? Especially when you encounter mysterious things about Him, things you cannot fully wrap your mind around. Many are tempted to come to the conclusion that therefore means we cannot know Him. But the fact that we cannot know Him fully, the fact that we cannot wrap our minds around who He is, does not mean we do not know Him at all. And in fact, to say we cannot know Him, though it's often said with a posture of being so humble, is in fact a kind of pride. Because it is saying God cannot make himself known. Well, what are we confessing? When we say, hallowed be your name, we're saying that means we're committed to knowing God. Well, why, how can we commit to knowing him? Well, because we're able to know him because he made us to know him. He created us in his image. He created us with the ability to enjoy that fellowship with him. Psalm 148, verse 14 He has raised up a horn for his people, praise for all his saints, for the people of Israel who are near to him. Praise the Lord. Now, so much uh, beautiful things could be uh, drawn out of that verse, but for right now, what I want to highlight is simply this, those who are near to him. That God is able to bring people near to him and to make himself known. That's what we're confessing he did with Israel. And then beautifully, verse 11 said a moment ago, Kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, praise the Lord. So this psalm speaks of in a special way, God brings Israel near to him, makes himself known to Israel, but as part of a plan that's calling for the day when all people would praise the Lord. People from all the nations of the world would know him, know his name, and therefore be able to praise him. I also want to highlight that language of being near to God. Knowing God is more than just knowing things about Him. It's relational. It's closeness. It's the language of being in covenant relationship with God. But it's not less than knowing things about Him, meaning it does include knowing true things revealed in Scripture. And so it's not just this vague experience, but it includes a commitment to confessing and saying what the Scriptures do say about God. That means when we pray, hallowed be your name, we are committing ourselves to the hard work of what we are doing right now. We are committing ourselves to the work of studying the scriptures, of learning more about God, of growing in our relationship with him, with part of what that relationship includes is learning more about him. And at those moments when it feels difficult, I know it often feels difficult, not just because we're tired, but because the effort is difficult, because there is mystery. There's much humility that must be involved in learning more about God. We need the reminder that this is what we are made for. That so often when we resist the work of growing and knowing and understanding things about God, we are resisting the very meaning and purpose of our humanness. Why we exist is to enjoy this fellowship with Him. And so Jesus says in John 17, let her see on your outline, that knowing God is eternal life. John 17, verse 3, he says, And this is eternal life that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. But what does that mean? Well, that means we're created for perfect fellowship with Him. In the future glory of the new creation, we will know God without sin being in the way. Now, be careful, we'll always be creatures. I remember my pastor, in, when I was in high school, loving to say, uh, heaven will not be a cosmic question and answer session. Right? How many of you have had a question and you thought, well, you know, when I get to heaven, I'll understand it. Well, I mean, not necessarily. Even, even, even in the glory of the new creation, we'll remain creatures. God will remain incomprehensible as one who is beyond us and other than us, but sin will no longer be in the way, and we will know that fellowship God made us for. But what Jesus is saying in John 17 verse 3 is that thing that will be perfect in the future is something you get to experience in the present. That God makes himself known, and as you grow in that knowledge of him, you are experiencing the beginning of eternal life, what God made us for. The Apostle Paul says it in the other direction in 1 Corinthians 13 verse 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. That that fullness of no sin in the way, no fleeing from God, no rejecting of things that are true about him that he has made known, but that all that he reveals, all that he makes known to us, being fully accepted enjoyed, delighted in, that is the future God promises that the apostle affirms, now we know in part, now dimly one day, face to face. Well, this prayer, Hallowed Be Your Name, is our commitment to that. Christ gives us that prayer and says, this is what you get to do, to grow in knowing who God is. Second, praising God for His attributes. As we grow in that knowledge of God, there is a proper response. And Hallowed Be Your Name is not simply talking about Knowing, but then responding as we ought to. Continuing in number two, God created us to enjoy praising him for the ways in which his attributes shine forth from his works. That is his works, meaning the things he has done. The language of our catechism, help us to truly know you, to honor, glorify, and praise you for all your works and for all that shines forth from them your almighty power, wisdom, kindness, justice, mercy, and truth. One of the main ways God makes himself known is through what he has done, through his actions, his deeds, what he does for his people. And we can speak of these in two categories. Letter A, there are God's works of redemption, God, that, of salvation, that God makes himself known, his name, his reputation, by the things he has done in the saving of his people. This is part of what is in view at the end of Psalm 148, verse 14. He has raised up a horn for his people, praise for his saints, for the people of Israel who are near to him. That God acted throughout the story of Israel to save, to rescue, to protect, to defend them. And in all of that, he was being made known. Psalm 149, verse 2, uh, just you know, continuing on that page. Let Israel be glad in his maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their King. I love this word in this context, in this psalm, the word maker. Now, when we hear that, we probably think initially, well, that's speaking of God as the creator. That he created Israel because he created all things. And that, of course, would be included, but that's going to be letter B. In this context, works of redemption, God as is Israel's maker it means that God is the one who made them as a people. He made them as his covenant people. That when he called them out of Egypt, when he made his covenant with them, he, in a sense, brought them into existence as a covenant people. And that is something that makes, God's, makes God known. That he is the one who desires to be in that covenant relationship. He is the one who desires to bind himself to his people and them to him. And so we then, in response to that, as we learn the story of Israel, the great acts of God, we then praise God for what it shows us. His commitment, his love, his faithfulness, the things the catechism lists. We think of the language of Psalm 103, for example, uh, verses 7 and 8. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. So here we have what the catechism is saying, praising God for his works. And then the very next verse, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. So at first, it's what God has done, but what does what, what he has done show? It's who he is. It's his character. So that the scriptures say over and over that when God does something, it's not arbitrary, it's not random, that what he does is always uh, consistent with who he is. His actions, his deeds are making known who he is. And this is, of course, most of all the case in our Lord Jesus Christ, the one Revealing God, His name, His reputation. Well, God created us to enjoy beholding His works and then praising Him for them. God created us for that pattern, that rhythm of seeing Him made known and then the enjoyment of that being completed and bringing it to Him in praise. This is the case also, letter B, for the works of creation. Works of redemption, works of creation. I want to read again the list in the catechism and listen for how you might even connect some of these words in particular with one of those more than the other, though all of them reveal all of it. Your almighty power, wisdom, kindness, justice, mercy, and truth. These things are not just made known in God's acts of saving, God's acts of redemption. They're also made known in his works of creation. That we can look around at the world, and in the creation, though it is marred by sin, though though there is a curse, there are things that are twisted and broken, we can nevertheless see shining forth through those works. In the language of our catechism, shining forth God's attributes. Back to Psalm 148. Our scripture reading, Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you shining stars. Praise Him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded and they were created. Think of all of the mysteries, all of the deep complexity of the science of outer space. All those things named, the sun, the moon, the stars... All of that beauty, all of that complexity, all of the, the wondrous things that we cannot fully wrap our minds around that we continue to explore and wonder and theorize about, all of that is revealing God's wisdom. The order of creation reflecting Him. And so, whatever it is in God's good creation that interests you, whatever it is in God's good creation that is something you enjoy, you are created to complete that enjoyment by going to the one who created those things. And to, do you see the point here? To enjoy doing that because it is what you are made for, that fellowship with him, that relationship with him. Psalm 148 is describing something, not just the things being described, but the the prayer itself as something to be enjoyed and delighted in. Praising the source of all that is good. Verse 6 of Psalm 148, And he established them forever and ever. He gave a decree and it shall not pass away. But there's something about the lastingness of the created order. The, the patterns of day and night, of the seasons that reflects God's faithfulness. That he is the one who sustains moment by moment the creation in existence. And that goodness of his faithfulness is revealed, made known in it. You could go down the list of things described in 148, Psalm 104 from our pastoral prayer. All of the fascinating, beautiful, playful, all the things of creation that are so obviously unnecessary, the things that are, be- that, that, that are overwhelmingly beautiful and good and enjoyable and delightful. These are all things that proclaim and reveal God's character. We are meant, well, let's say the prayer, hallowed be your name, is reminding us That we are meant to live in that relationship with our creator. To enjoy those good things and then to turn to him in praise. Third, your outline. Honoring God's name. I'm going to read point three in a moment. I want to show you where I'm getting this. The language of our catechism, after that point where it lists the attributes, continues saying this. And it means, help us to direct all our living, what we think, say, and do, so that your name will never be blasphemed because of us, but always honored and praised. Here's another place we have to ask, what is implicit? What is assumed in what the catechism is saying here about God's name? You say, if we're going to praise God's name, honor God's name, we can imagine that being something we do in church. We've enjoyed, experienced good things through the week. We gather together here, and then we pour pour forth the praise that results from that. What does it mean to be doing it in all of our living? Everything we think, say, and do, there is the issue of are we blaspheming, dishonoring God's name, or are we honoring God's name? Well, what is being assumed is now number three on your outline, that we bear God's name, and therefore we are called to honor his name in all of life. I find it fascinating when the catechism does this. It seems like, Wow, like isn't that the thing you should have said? Like that's a really big deal, but the catechism just assumes we know. It assumes we know that we bear God's name, God's name is upon us, that we in a meaningful way represent God in the world, so that whatever we think, say and do, we are we are saying something about him. Well, why would the catechism assume we know this? Well, there's a lot of broad themes. We are his creatures made in his image. We are that part of the creation that is able to speak, that is meant to show forth his glory by imaging God in the creation. But there are two examples in particular where this language is used more specifically in Scripture about us as his covenant people. Two examples, baptism and the benediction. First, baptism. The language of Jesus in Matthew 28, when he commands his disciples to baptize, He says this, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now you may have noticed, there's some folks here, you may have even been troubled by this question, that the ESV here says, in the name of, but our form for baptism when I baptize says, into the name of. Now some of you, if you have your ESV open, I don't know about the Pew Bible, but some of you may have a footnote on the word in, and it will say, or into. Well, there are different words in Greek that translate into English with the word in. The word here is one that could, and I believe should, be translated into, because it's the one that communicates movement. It communicates direction, a kind of transition. And the point here is that a change in baptism, a change, a transition of movement is being marked that you now bear the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That the name is placed upon you, and so we say in the baptism formula that you are baptized into the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What that means is that baptism is saying to you that you now bear God's name. That you represent him as one who belongs to him as part of his covenant people. So the implication then is that wherever you go, whatever you think, say, and do, it somehow involves God's name. Another example is the benediction. In number six, this is the famous words. I'm not sure why I'm looking it up. Obviously, I have not memorized, but... Where The Lord says to Moses to tell Aaron to bless the people, saying, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And then he says in verse 27, this is the verse quoted on your outline, So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. Put my name upon. The name of the Lord is used three times. The Lord, if you have your Bibles open, the Lord there is in all caps, meaning this is not just Lord as um, speaking of uh, leadership or authority, but this is the word Yahweh, often translated Jehovah, the name of God. Notice also it's used three times. That's interesting in the light of what then would be the Trinitarian formula at baptism. Father, Son, and Spirit. There's a kind of anticipation of the fullness of God's being being more than just oneness reflected in this. But the point for our purposes this evening is that then uh, the Lord says, so shall they put my name upon the people of Israel. God places his name upon you every time you receive the benediction on the Lord's day. Well, what does that mean? Well, what it means isn't really the point right now for the catechism. The point is that you bear God's name. But what does it mean? It means something relational. It means something covenantal. It means that you are now, you are identified with God in a particular way as his covenant people. It means that... um, that you are represented by Christ in terms of him being the head and you being the body. It's the Holy Spirit being promised to you. It's the relationship with God as your father. Being given a name, name has that sort of a family relationship idea. All of these things and so much more are included in this. It is the language of covenant nearness that the creator in placing his name on you is saying that you are near to him, in fellowship with him, in relationship with him. So much more could be said there. What, what's the purpose for the catechism? Letter B. You are always saying something about God. The only question is whether the things you say are true and honoring of his name. Or, conversely, if whether the things you say are false, are dishonoring, Are blaspheming of God's name. Now, do you you sense the challenge of this? You don't get to decide whether or not you are saying something about God. You don't get to decide whether or not you are. You always are. He has placed his name on you. You are a Christian. You are a follower of Jesus. You have been baptized. God has bound himself to you in the covenant. So now in everything you think, say, and do, you must be considering what is this saying about who God is? What is this making known about the Creator, about my Redeemer, about Christ, about the presence of the Spirit? The question is not, will you say something about God? The question is, will what you say be true and honoring of Him? This is why the Catechism says, when we say, hallowed be your name, we are saying, help us to direct all of our living.'" what we think, say, and do, so that your name will never be blasphemed because of us, but always honored and praised. This is a heavy challenge. But it is also a beautiful affirmation. Letter C. This is an affirmation of the meaning and dignity of all human life, created in God's image and restored in Christ. And by all human life, I don't just mean every human, though that's included. But here, what I mean by all human life is all of life, all of the humanness of your life. All of it is a means by which you get to honor God's name. All of it is a means by which you get to say something about your Creator, because you are made in God's image. And what Christ does by His Spirit is not canceling out God's created intention. He's not moving you beyond it to something else instead of God's created intention. Rather, what God is doing in Christ is restoring us to how we were created to be. And how we were created to be is that in everything we do, all of our living as God's creatures, we show forth His image and honor His name. And the gospel restores you to that. You might be sensing this is the exact same point we ended with this morning, and it basically is. Because here's what this does. Whatever you're going to be doing tomorrow, in the ordinariness of God's creation, whatever season of life you are doing it in, right? we have, we have whole areas of life that much of the Christian church does not view as being spiritually meaningful at all. We have seasons of life that our culture does not view as being meaningful at all. We have so much of things reduced simply to economic productivity and also these kinds of cultural trends that can then make us doubt the meaningfulness, the significance of the very common ordinary things God has given us to do. But what our catechism is affirming because of those beautiful scriptural themes we have looked at is that all of it has dignity, value, purpose, meaning in this fellowship with God as your creator. Specifically in terms of the catechism this evening. All of it is a means by which you honor God's name. You glorify him as your creator. And that this is not just a challenge, though it is, but it is the good gift of God in Christ that he restores you to that. Letter D then, here I am openly admitting it's the same point as this morning. Let us walk in a manner worthy of our calling, not only in our life together as the church, but in everything we think, say, and do. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we pray that you would encourage and strengthen us in all of the many callings and tasks you have given us in this coming week. We pray that you would encourage and strengthen us in all of the different seasons of life that are represented in this place. We know, we are sure that there are many here for whom perhaps at this very moment, this is difficult things you have given us to do that feel small or insignificant, seasons of life that feel like we have nothing to offer or contribute. And so we pray that you would give us a growing sense of the value, the goodness of every moment of this life as your creatures living in fellowship with you as our creator. This is a, a, a joyful life that you have given to us in Christ, and we pray that by your spirit you would give us a growing experience of it. For we pray in Jesus' name, Amen.